Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. After this brief intro, you'll hear the audio from our latest live Instagram Q&A. Our live sessions are so much fun. We basically Mm -hmm. show up and connect, commiserate, and build skills alongside our upbringing community. Folks write in ahead of time or chime in with questions and struggles around kids' big feelings and challenging behaviors. We typically explore five to 15 questions and offer our take, our instincts, our goals, helpful phrasing, and ways to parent with alignment and integrity using our resist approach. Thank you for being here and for supporting us. And if you'd like to give your family and upbringing some extra support, please visit our website at upbringing.co to learn about our upcoming membership community, as well as our shop, which is now full of informative guides and inspiring prints based on everything we've shared here on the podcast these past two years. Wow. Two years. (laughs) Thanks for growing up alongside us one conversation at a time. Here we go. Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. Today, I've got Hannah and Kelty, and they are from a beautiful Instagram account I found um, called Upbringing. And, oh man, I've been looking forward to this conversation for such a long time, um, partially because it's a a different expert than I'm used to having on this um, podcast, but ultimately, I love what they talk about. They work with parents who are working to help regulate their children's nervous systems. And I think that what they share bridges the gap in real time for me, um, just because I, in my client work, I'm helping people go back to their true selves and to help regulate their nervous systems to feel safe in going back to their true selves. And you guys are doing the work of helping parents do that for their children. So welcome, um, Hannah and Kelty. I'm so excited. Um, there's going to be so much juiciness that we get into. <laughs> We're happy to be here. Great to be here, Kat. We're such fans of your, of your podcast and your work. Mm, thank you so much. So you know, we briefly chatted before we hit record of like this, and and you've been talking about like I've been seeing this this languaging of spiritedness and um, sensitivity coming through your content. So I'd love for you to just start with giving us context, um, maybe defining it a little bit, just giving us a foundational place to start uh, of what that means to you and your audience. 
Yeah. I, I think just generally speaking, I think a lot of folks are always like, well, what does spirited or sensitive kid mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's something that means something different to every person. But I think that the the reason that Kelty and I use those two words specifically is because we want to reclaim them from how, how they've been used before. Uh, I think that oftentimes sensitive is seen as a, a negative attribute. Don't be so sensitive. You're so sensitive. That's how we grew up being very mm-hmm. sensitive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other kids, have been like, oh, you're just so spirited or you're such a firecracker. You're just so much. And Mm. that feeling as well. And I think that the spirited and sensitive kind of dichotomy are kind of like, can be both within one person and they are within all of us. And I think there's a spectrum that every person falls on how they receive input to their nervous systems. And that's the sensitivity part. And then how they express that, that output, right? And that's the spiritedness part. Mm-hmm. And understanding that we're all on this vast spectrum. I think a lot of people, we just automatically think, oh, my kid's misbehaving or my kid, there's something wrong with my child or I'm not disciplining them hard enough. And so we work with parents between the ages of, with kids one to you know, 12 or so and help them understand and, and kind of re-see um, their, their kids in a new way that's going to help them work with their kids' sensitivity and spiritedness rather than against that sensitivity and spiritedness. Yeah. And the reason that we (laughs) try to do that as well is so that um, we can be supporting our kids in working with their own nervous systems and not against their own nervous systems, because that's a relationship that they're going to be having the rest of their lives, right? Yeah. We want to keep that connection to self, um, that security, that sense of trust, that sense of like your podcast is called empowered curiosity, belonging, worthiness. All of those things are connected to the way they experience the world and the way they move through it. Mm -hmm. We have such a huge impact on that as their parents and their Mm -hmm. primary attachment figure. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, A couple things that I just want to like reflect on is. Um, Hannah, you were saying between the ages of one to 12 is, is primarily the age group that, um, that you're working with, but like your content, I, I honestly, I have consciously chosen to not have children and I love the scripting that you use because sometimes I don't know how to speak to my inner child. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I don't think it's just for that like one to 12 age, I think it's really just a universal way to speak kindly to ourselves and speak in a way that is about attunement and mm-hmm. about working with the nervous system and about just meeting anybody where they're at. Um, so I don't know that I would pigeonhole you into like mm-hmm. one to 12. <laughs> Thanks. I love that. I love that, that, you know, it, this can apply to so many of us. And I think a lot of parents say that they say these phrases, I wish I'd heard that, yeah. you know, and, and I think that that's so much part of the process that we do at upbringing with our coaching, with our speaking, with our, our guides and certain things, they're all saying, how can we be telling as we're telling our kids something, we have to be telling it to ourselves. We have to believe what we're saying. 100%. It has to nurture something in us. If it's going to do something for them, we can't can't just say words. And I think the parenting industry in general, and especially when we're talking about big feelings and challenging behaviors and discipline, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that's where we reel people in because they're like, oh, I need to know exactly what to say and do to get my way, essentially. To These are my child. Right? These are people who are in those early years where they still feel like they should be in control before their child is older and, and you know, isn't doesn't listen anymore, essentially. Mm-hmm. So that's why words are so important in these early years. It's never too late at mm-hmm. all. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that those are the people that come to us because it's just, it's so confusing and so, so difficult just mm-hmm. right at the onset of these big feelings and challenging behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And the way that you explained sensitivity and spiritedness, like, I think that that goes to the core wounding that I see so much of later on in life and my clients is pretty much everyone walks around with these wounds around being either too much or not enough. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're working with those two. Um, I mean, they're essentially the same sides or two sides of the same coin. And um, you're working with that on the developmental level so that they have an easier time of being able to process that as they get older, because we are going to get those messages, right? Like we all live in the world where we're going to have conditions and we're going to pick up things from society you know, even if we have this very secure parenting style being provided to us, um, as little sponges, we do pick up things from school, from from the rest of our community. And so um, I love this idea of working with the nervous system instead of working against the nervous system. Because as you said so beautifully, that's something that we're going to have to be with for the rest of our lives. Like that doesn't go away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think oftentimes we can so easily turn our kids against their nervous systems because we don't know how to handle them. And because <clears> our <throat> nervous system is turning against us in the, a lot of these moments with our kids. But I think, Kat, you really identify you know, two arenas where kids learn, where we all learned in those early years and continue to learn. And, and that socialization and we call it self-awareness. These are the two avenues. So it's about learning about the self, that's mm-hmm. self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And then it's learning about the outer world and other people's needs, that socialization. Mm-hmm. And I think like, just like you said, we're all get, our kids are going to get a lot of, of um, conditioning and influence and guidance and pressure uh, mm-hmm. from the outside world the minute they leave the home. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that the problem that Kelty and I identify quite often and that parents grapple with is that our culture still values and, and it kind of pressures parents to to focus their parenting primarily on socialization with their child in these disciplined moments. So when the kid's screaming something too loud or saying something really mean or wanting to hit uh, their sibling or refusing to, you know, do their hygiene, we tend to focus on the outside world. So that's what we've been programmed to do. Well, mm. your hair is going to be oily and it's going to be embarrassing. You can't hit other people. Look, you know, or you can't say that. That's rude. These are all saying to our child, external gaze is more important than internal gaze. Mm. And, and very often we under uh, overlook, right, or undermine the self-awareness process, the self, the building and the nurturing of the self in those early years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we don't focus instead on their needs or their underlying motivations or impulses. We don't normalize and validate and secure them Mm -hmm. because we're so afraid that they're going to become a bully or we're so afraid about what our mother-in-law is going to say or or we have our own triggers in those moments uh, when our parents socialized us, right? And so, so much about our work at Upbringing is bringing people back home to the self in their parenting and saying, it's okay to focus on your child's self. They are supposed to be selfish in these early years. They're supposed to be self-entitled in the best sense of the word, that they're supposed to be self-centered. You want them to be self-centered. That's where they should focus and is, is the self in these early years. So they know what Kelty and I call inner wisdom and authority, who they are. That's that inner wisdom, that, that sensitivity and inner, inner authority is what they want and how to get it. And that's that spiritedness, mm. right? Mm. So often when we prioritize socialization, 
We're telling them, don't know who you are and what you want. We know, I know, other people know better. And do not go to get it like that by screaming mm-hmm. or doing other developmentally appropriate behaviors. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, basically just saying, don't be you. Mm-hmm. Don't be you like this. Yeah. Right. Over yeah. and over and over again. And, and it's so natural that we think that that's the way we teach them. We got to get them socialized. We got to, mm-hmm. you know, make them a, a gentle friend and a, and a good neighbor and a, and a hardworking classmate and mm-hmm. all of those things first, as opposed mm-hmm. to saying, but what about the self? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that you touch on something that is so, so important, which is the development of the self, you know, as you know, little ones, as they start to you know, not be so reliant on mom, they start to have these choices open up to them, you know, and they get to start exploring what their wants and desires are. And in that moment, if we shut down and say, we have to be looking externally for what is good, and we grant that moral authority to something that's external to us, that's something that trickles on into adulthood, because then we never stop looking um, external. We never start looking internally. And that's a lot of the work that I end up doing with them, mm-hmm. um, with people in their thirties and forties, because it's like, I don't even know what I want. You know, mm-hmm. I've always, I've been trained to look to other people and, and be a people pleaser and to make things comfortable for other people. Um, so I don't even know what I want when I ask them, you know, where do you want to be in life? You know? Um, mm-hmm. and so this is your, y'all are laying the groundwork for like, this is big stuff of like granting little ones the permission to be their own internal compass, to be their own guidance of, of, of how they want to move through the world. Um, and, and that all happens at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And it can be really scary for those of us who were raised as people pleasers. A lot of mm-hmm. folks in our community are those people pleasers. And so they have no idea how, they don't even know what their needs are, let alone how to confidently set a boundary with a child who's very confident about their own needs and what they're willing or not willing to do. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it can feel like a lot of these parents are the child in the relationship because they they kind of just, they go back to their that child self, which I'm sure you can speak to really well. And I think that they so much of the work is saying how can we empower you again how can we empower you to to become aware of your needs to mm-hmm. communicate them lovingly not to go from one side to the other so being that kind of what we would call permissive parenting where we just give 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 let it all go let it all go be selfless essentially mm-hmm. and then we finally snap in a moment and we go to selfish like what about me you can't treat me this way i feel yeah. like hot garbage mm-hmm. go to your room you have a timeout you have consequences yeah. That doesn't feel good for parents, but a lot of us just haven't found that middle way. Yeah. We just don't even know it exists and it's it's hard to find. Yeah. And it's hard to let go too of that mm-hmm. that control since so many of us were were kind of built based on external expectations, that external gaze, mm-hmm. right? It's hard for us to all of a sudden look at our child and trust that 
they have every freedom, their freedom to nourish. We've got 10 of them, <laughs> their freedom to feel, their freedom to choose, their freedom to, to move, to play, to contribute, to know, to speak, to speak, that they have these freedoms and it's okay. It's actually really healthy for them to express themselves and make these choices for themselves. But if we ourselves as parents weren't allowed to make those choices, it can be very destabilizing to consider that for our kids. Mm-hmm. And I like yeah. what you said too, Kat, about just giving kids permission to be, per- mm-hmm. permission to be themselves. And I think that that's what we're trying to give caregivers, teachers, parents is that same permission to, to take that role that they think their job should be to be mm-hmm. filling this child at like an empty vessel to be controlling. <laughs> there's such, there's such a responsibility at play, mm-hmm. but to really get clear on what is my responsibility. And like you often talk about just rewriting your relationship to certain things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, that's a big thing that we talk about to rewriting that script, rewriting that relationship with our child um, or our grandchild or the child we're caregiving for whatever it is to say it's, we're giving you permission to work collaboratively, work yeah. with curiosity and openness, mm-hmm. work still, yes, in a position of power, mm-hmm. but, but sensitively wielding that power in a collaborative and unconditionally warm and trusting way. Yeah. And, and I think that what you said that I just want to like highlight a little bit is um, we have this idea as parents, as caregivers, that we're supposed to fill these children up like they're empty vessels And to me, like coming from the Eastern philosophy background, like we are all born just beautifully whole with this, like what our gifts are meant to be. Like that is inherent to us, like the moment that we show up on this earth. And so much of education, so much of conditioning, how we're supposed to fit in society is about addition, like almost like I have to go out and get this next thing, the next, you know, whatever it is, the next education, Mm -hmm. you know, like schooling and um, swim class or ballet classes. It's almost like this, this, like, it comes from a scarcity model, I feel like. Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. like when we can just acknowledge that we all including your child including you come into this world with a mandate I I call it the Tao Mm -hmm. Um, and our role as the people who love our children and support our children is to just help them express that Tao in the best way that they can you know Mm -hmm. Oh, love goosebumps. goosebumps. <laughs> love it so much. That mandate. I love that you you call it like that. And Kelty was it's saying like a calling. It's right? like a calling. Mm. It's saying we they're already complete beings. And I think that it yeah. just goes against the entire mentality that we were we grew up with. And so many mm-hmm. folks who come to us as these progressive people being like, the way I'm supposed to parent does not align with my progressive values. <laughs> you know, essentially I'm looking at my child with with the you know, with the control approach and with the distrust mm-hmm. of so many other people in power in other institutions, yeah. you know, people, have, you know, historically have maintained power over others by distrusting them, by wanting them to conform and be obedient mm-hmm. by believing that they are not whole until that person makes them whole or mm-hmm. creates 
<laughs> they, you know, believing someone is already whole yeah. is a very scary thing because you think, oh my gosh, then they have authority over themselves and possibly others. And that puts my power at risk. Mm-hmm. So when you think of the hierarchy in the family and the, the power role that we hold over our kids, mm-hmm. thinking of parenting in a way that's based on respect instead of control, that's based on trust instead of distrust, mm-hmm. completely flies in the face of everything we've been conditioned to believe about systems and about mm-hmm. institutions and about relationships. Yeah. Right. And so even as the role of, you know, as a parent, as for me, as an auntie, you know, like, I think it's intimidating to think about, you know, what's my role in breaking these patterns of hierarchy and breaking these patterns of patriarchy. But if we can break it down into these smaller relationships, I find that it's a lot more digestible. Like even in how you interact with children, you are breaking down these social constructs of power and hierarchy and control and, um, and doing that in a way that you know, like is going to ripple out beyond just that relationship that you have with that one child. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of parents come to us and they're like, what can I do? I'm I'm so about making social change. I feel so helpless about what's going on. What I have your anti-racist a, parenting resources. Right. <laughs> you know, I am a privileged white lady and I need to start thinking and doing better, you know, <laughs> learning and listening. And I think the focus that Kelty and I always put is saying you are, you can already be doing the work literally just through your relationship with your child. Yeah. When you can choose powers beyond control, when you can practice practice that over and over, little by little with your child, you are teaching them to experience power and to eventually use power in a different way, in a responsible way that we're not perpetuating these inherited legacies of control that don't just happen in government or don't just happen in maybe a church or another institution, but they begin in the home. We're already conditioning our kids through conventional discipline to use power in a particular way. Mm -hmm. So the parents who come to us, they're like, oh my gosh, like I I really want my kids to use respectful language to each other. So I'm going to yell at them about that. And we're like, but they're actually learning yelling when you Mm -hmm. do that. They're like, Mm -hmm. I want my kids to be innovators and problem solvers. And I get so frustrated when they don't do that, that I give them a consequence. And we're like, Mm -hmm. well, they're learning consequences, you know? And so we, we, we kind of forget that kids learn not just by what we want them to, to learn, like, you know, by, by what we intend to teach and our good intentions, but it's actually the way we teach them, how we're showing up in these challenging situations that they're learning the most. Mm-hmm. They do not learn explicitly all the time. We're not giving them like a, a worksheet or a blackboard lecture. Yeah. We're just showing up in the kitchen like a hot mess or in the bathroom or in their bedroom day by day over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we're teaching them something. Yeah. And so those moments when we realize, oh my gosh, what am I teaching? It is not what I actually want to be teaching my children. Yeah. That is kind of a, a fierce reckoning that that misalignment that that occurs to us all at a different point with our kids. Um, and we always say there's there's no shame in that. You know, yeah. there's, there's no reason we should beat ourselves up. Yeah. And that's such a fundamental shift because like I'm sure that so many parents come to you being like, what should I do? And what I'm hearing is you are teaching people how to be with their children instead of giving them an instruction manual on all the things that they need to do, um, Mm -hmm. which is something that, you know, Mm -hmm. we all have to unlearn 
um, if we grew up in, in this Western culture, because we prioritize efficiency and productivity and all the doing things. Um, and we don't give ourselves enough value for, for just being, mm-hmm. um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, just, I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head as, as far as like we prioritize I mean just efficiency. And like I said earlier, conformity and obedience mm-hmm. and all these visible things yeah. that, that you can add up. Like you said, you can stack on one another that give us this sense of belonging and value and worthiness. Mm-hmm. And that's like what we do to our kids. So that's why modern discipline is about doing to them. Yeah. That's so much about what this upbringing is about and so many other amazing um, resources out there. And even what you do too, is just saying, how can we be in relationship, Mm -hmm. but being in relationship with someone is, is invisible in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think Mm -hmm. so much about what Kelsey and I work on is trying to make that invisible, more visible. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. talk about body language. We talk about tone. We talk about the words. Mm -hmm. We talk about, you know, the environment and the routine that we can be thinking about so that we can make the invisible visible for parents who, who haven't been in relationship with anybody, maybe let alone themselves and don't even know they can't access something they've never experienced. They can't create that with their child if they haven't experienced it Mm -hmm. before. 100%. So I'm curious because I feel like what we're, I mean, we're talking about the same thing, but just using slightly different language around it. Um, but what I'm hearing is this like beautiful interplay and dance between yin and yang, mm. which is really about structure and, and creativity. And so I'm curious about how, like in a tangible way, cause kids do also need structure, right? So like, it's not just about, you know, we're just going to be <laughs> all the time. <laughs> like how, how do you infuse structure that feels safe mm-hmm. um, and still celebrates their, their sensitivity and spiritedness and, and gives them freedom? Like, what does that look like? That's a million dollar question. I think that you're, you're saying security, you know, in general, and that security is comes from being who you are. And it also comes from feeling secure from in your environment and with an attachment figure. So we can't just, I think a lot of times when when people talk about, uh, you know, this type of parenting, they think, oh, it's just woo woo and it's total chaos and messes <laughs> everywhere and no one's hair is brushed and no one does any homework. And it's just, it's wild children everywhere. No one learned anything from gentle parenting or being mindful. Right. <laughs> and so we, you know, so much about this, like we mentioned earlier, is that middle way, the balance finding Mm -hmm. balance in that as we build these skills with our kids and honoring who they are and allowing them to express themselves. And then also remembering that we've got limits. We've got our own personal boundaries. We've got our own responsibilities as their caregivers. Mm -hmm. And how do we find that middle way? And that's what we call loving limits. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we call our resist model, which is instead of using the traditional discipline, the control model of discipline, we use our resist approach, which is a conversation and a way of engaging with them that sets those loving limits that Mm -hmm. says you, yes, that need, that feeling, that self, that sensitivity, that spirit, and right Mm-hmm. We gotta, we gotta get out to this thing. We, mm-hmm. I can't let you hit your your brother or your sister. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I need to to set you down right now because my body isn't feeling good about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finding a way to to in a conversation and in a challenge, which none of us are very comfortable doing, find a way to meet both of our needs. 
Like mm-hmm. so many of us come from this very binary win, lose, either, or, you know, oh, um, someone's good, someone's bad, something's right, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we come into that parent-child relationship with that, that infrastructure and those, those, that, that mindset, you know, on that. And it's really hard. So if our kid gets what they want, then we've lost out. If we get what we want, then we feel bad about our kids not, mm-hmm. you know, getting something. And the, the resist approach, which Kelty can explain really briefly, it says, how can we work to get both of our needs met? Mm-hmm. Challenges and a huge part of what we are reframing with parents is the belief that challenges are bad. Challenges are wrong. Because that's what our nervous systems are telling us very often. And society tells us that that's going against authority, that, that someone is going to get hurt something is someone's good, someone's bad, mistakes were made. And we're saying, no, let's reculture and recondition our nervous systems to believe that conflict is an opportunity. It's just two needs that have yet to be met. They're just different. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Let's create mm-hmm. some security around these challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the resist approach, basically we use when our kids resist us. So those we think of those moments of resistance as um, a spark, a reminder of our kids' inner wisdom and authority of their needs, mm-hmm. right? So they could be saying, no, I won't put my shoes on or no, I, I did the homework and when they didn't, or um, they might be, you know, hitting their sibling, like Hannah said before, or won't get in the car seat right. or, or won't clean up their room or their toys or mm-hmm. won't eat that that food or whatever it is that know that resistance that we usually want to just shut down instinctually, mm-hmm, right? Just mm-hmm, shut mm-hmm. it down. Instead, we're going to use the resist approach to run through this loose six step model of a conversation. Like Hannah said, to get both of those needs met, to be searching for that win-win mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be normalizing conflict, to be creating a positive association around um, two people coming into disagreement in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been so culturally conditioned to create a negative association, right? Yeah, And I think uh, everything that research is showing is saying, let's create positive spaces for kids to learn because that's when their brains are the most receptive in, in, in spaces without shame and blame and negativity. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in the resist approach, the acronym is respect, empathize, sync up, innovate, summarize, and trust. And sometimes we'll, within a conflict, we'll run through a couple of those steps and then we lose our cool and send them to their room or whatever happens. Sometimes we spend an hour or two in the empathize step and then we're good and it's fine. Sometimes we tiptoe into resist and, and storm out or, you know, the very beginning of it. Um, And sometimes we make it all the way to trust where we know that these conflicts are going to keep happening and that that's okay. Yeah. Right. And we have to remind ourselves, we can be reminding our kids Mm -hmm. that there are lots of ways that we can be connecting outside the moment, bravely bringing up the challenges again, basically just working to normalize challenges Mm -hmm. in our family and keep creating that safety and trust. Yeah. To build those skills Mm -hmm. and to build that connection and to continue to nurture and support the self, Mm -hmm. their self and our self in the process. Yeah. And you know, this is where I'm like, this isn't just for parents and kids. Like this is for, you know, work relationships. It's for, you know, romantic partnerships. It's for friendships. Like this resist model is so profound in how, um, a, just like looking at challenges and looking at conflict as opportunities. Um, it's something that I talk about all the time with with uh, my clients who are struggling with their partners. Like I, I tend to get a lot of um, folks who who are needing help in their in their intimate relationships. 
I feel like what you're talking about is the language of attunement is like, there's so much that can get mm, correct. It doesn't seem like the right word, but, and healed is the word that I would use with my adult clients. Um, but it's like what pre-healing is with your kids is like when you feel seen, heard, known, and understood, like the resistance sort of doesn't <clears throat> need to be there anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We love viewing our kids' resistance as a information and a signal that their personal freedoms are maybe being impinged upon mm. that their flame that flame that's that that attunement that self mm -hmm. you know the inner wisdom and inner authority is being threatened by an external source it's such mm -hmm. a healthy thing we're always like your kids resistance is so healthy you it would be really easy if they never resisted you wow you would get a lot done but wow like they need that resistance to protect them to protect the self mm -hmm. you know and we always liken it to parents to say it's not just now. It's not just about this spoon that they refuse to eat with. It's not just about the fact that they, you know, won't put that coat on leaving the house or won't leave the park, right? It that is going to happen when they're older, right? When they're at a frat party. Do you want them to be obedient and conforming then? Mm -hmm. You know, when they're in a courtroom or at work and something's mm -hmm. going on. We don't want them to to be disconnected from that resistance to be disconnected from the self mm -hmm. and we want to keep and maintain that connection as a big a pain in a as a in the butt as it is right now it is so hard to be doing that work with them and investing that time with them now mm -hmm. to to prevent them essentially from having to do it later yeah. when it's harder alone yeah, yeah. you know it's, yeah it's about cultivating that that inner moral authority that we talked about like at the very beginning is when you cut your kids off from that inner resistance from that like inner knowing of like no I don't want to do this um, it shows up later in adulthood in in situations that are are bigger than putting your shoes on uh, mm -hmm. you know? yeah. it's I mean it's the first our kids resistance we have to see it as their first um, moments of self-advocacy mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that it is critical that they are doing this and that the, the conversations and the challenges and these opportunities we have in engaging around their their resistance is building consent awareness, mm -hmm. is building healthy boundaries for them. Mm -hmm. You know, when we can set those loving limits and when we can respect their loving limits on us, mm -hmm. you know, we're, they're learning so much. And again, like you mentioned earlier with the people pleasing, right? They won't go into the world thinking they have to keep everybody happy and taken care of at the expense yeah. of themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they won't go out there thinking that everyone else's needs matter mm -hmm. more than theirs. Yeah. You know? yeah. We talk often about the the voice mm -hmm. and that we're communicating, whether it's the words we say or the tone or the environment we're cultivating um, as a teacher, caregiver, parent, whatever it is. And thinking of the ways that our voice is going to become that child's inner voice. Mm. What do you know? Thinking these words, this tone I'm conveying, this this space we're creating—that's what they're going to walk away with inside them. Those are the the automatic negative thoughts that might pop up that a lot of us are dealing with in our 
in our twenties, thirties, forties, and and beyond, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's the is it the loving, non-judgmental voice of, with curiosity and grace and forgiveness and humor, mm-hmm. right? That they carry with them when they struggle, mm-hmm. or when they struggle with other people, that voice is still there. Is it saying that person's wrong? Don't let them get away with that. They're a bad person. Or is it saying, I'm going to try to empathize with this other person. What are they going through? Yeah. Is that working for me? Is it not working for me? Mm-hmm. The, right. Right, the voice we use for ourselves is the voice we use to other people as well. I believe yeah. they're intricately connected. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So our voice and, matters. Yeah. And the more that we can honor our children's voices when they say, fuck yes or fuck no, like mm-hmm. that allows them to celebrate their own autonomy and celebrate, you know, their, their capacity to make decisions for themselves. It, it, like, you're right. It trickles out into bigger things like consent and how we show up in the face of something that doesn't feel right. Um, and do we say something about that? Absolutely. I think it just, everything that parents are trying to work on with their kids in terms of building consent awareness and body safety and all of these things goes directly in conflict with conventional um, discipline, which Mm -hmm. says, you don't know what's best. Don't speak up when something's not working for you. Be easygoing. Let me dominate you. Let me tell you what to do and when. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the exact opposite of what we want our kids to be learning, to be moving into the world safely mm-hmm. and to be yeah. able to advocate for their needs. Mm-hmm. It's also exhausting as a parent to oh, do sure. this. <laughs> and I think that with so many parents are like, wait, say what? I don't have to be doing this anymore. I don't have to be forcing my child to eat things that they don't want. I don't have to be forcing them to groom themselves in ways that they're not ready for. I don't have to force them to wear particular clothing that they don't like, or if it doesn't feel good to their body or force them to play or move and accelerate in a certain way, or force them to choose different words that don't bother me or offend somebody else. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. I, I got to get some reading done. I got to, <laughs> I got to have some friendships again. Like it, it takes so much off of our plate to realize we don't have to control our children in this way anymore, not just for for them and for their their self staying in one piece as they grow older, but also just for us and ourself. I think every time we 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 you know mess with our kids' self, it it doesn't it does something for us. And I think that's the dissonance a lot of parents feel that they come to us saying, this doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Something in this feels wrong, even though it comes so naturally and instinctually. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's not right. And I think that 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 is ourselves that are still left saying, this isn't what we need to do. Right. We don't have to to choose those things. Yeah. I'm curious. I've been having this conversation with a lot of my friends. Um, I would say most of my friends now have children between the ages of four and 12 and with a lot of the, um, the reckoning of, of painful history, you know, we're, we're looking at systems of oppression. We're looking at systems of, of just like deep, deep shadows. And, and I was speaking to a friend of mine specifically, cause this is, we're recording this on the weekend um, following 4th of July. And I'm, I was curious about how he was going to approach, you know, talking about 4th of July and, you know, celebrating America, but then also reckoning with 
a lot of these things in terms of um, like new bodies being found at residential schools. And, um, and so I'm curious about how, how you, I think your little ones are are quite little still, right? Um, Yeah, they're four, five, six, and seven. Okay. So like, what would be age appropriate ways to have these conversations about history um, for parents who do want to, to, to be realistic about history while also not traumatizing their kids? Like, mm-hmm. um, like, do you have any sort of insight to, to support um, parents on, on that realm? Yeah, I, I feel like folks ask us this quite a bit and, and there's so many different ways to go about it. I think following the child's lead and their their comfort and having books available, articles available, bringing it up in small little bits to see how they feel and how they want to engage in it. Mm-hmm. I think that so often we're like, my child must know this historical situation. They are privileged and they need to know what happened, right? They can't escape a childhood not knowing this because so many other childhoods really knew it like mm-hmm. very, very deeply. Mm-hmm. And I think that we feel this responsibility to like impress on our kids, the, 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 the history. Yeah. The, certainly the, the desire that came up for me. <laughs> yeah. Where we, we want them to understand. And I think that so much is goes right back to self-awareness versus socialization. Kelty, my mm-hmm. opinion on this is saying for kids to truly understand and, and, and grapple with history and what happened, they have to understand themselves first. It doesn't matter if you tell them facts or information. I think in some ways it's great to give them some information, some context. They can pursue that over time. But I think for them to really understand, they have to understand those things in their bodies first. And so a lot of the conversations we have are start with their own feeling of disappointment about something or pain about something or um, anger about something. Mm -hmm. And then we segue into maybe a story about something else, someone else's pain, Mm -hmm. someone else frustration, someone else's injustice, Mm -hmm. not to say that theirs doesn't matter or compare them, but when they're in a place of understanding that feeling and having that in their body, they can access other people's pain and other people's stories in that same way. Mm. So I think that it doesn't matter which stories we choose. It's going to look different for every family, but finding a way that, that is relatable to them based on their own lives. Because as we mentioned, kids are very beautifully self-centered. So we have Mm -hmm. to go at these, these kind of learning adventures from a self-centered place. Mm -hmm. And that's beyond that, Kelty and I even say, yes, all of those conversations are important, but we also have to just keep remembering what we're teaching them through our daily caregiving with them. Mm -hmm. That's where they're learning what oppression is. That's where they're learning what privilege is. That's what they're learning about power. Mm -hmm. That's what they're learning about what's right and what's wrong is how we treat their bodies because that's what we're normalizing to them. And then they can go into the world. And even if they didn't hear about Juneteenth, or even if they didn't hear about um, something else that happened, they can access it and really engage with it in an interested, connected way because they are connected to self Mm -hmm. and connected to self gives them the access to connect to others. It's backwards from what I think we, we are culturally brought up to believe. It is. It's kind of blowing my mind a little bit, Um, but it's also developmentally makes sense, you know, cause you're right. Like kids are very self-centered in like in yeah. the most beautiful way. Um, and so for me to go in there and be like, Hey, like let's, let's have this really difficult conversation on the 4th of July, you know, like that's not going to be digested in the way that I want it to be digested. You know, um, it's yeah. not going to land 
in the way that I hope that it lands. Yeah. And it's not actually a good teaching moment. So you're, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah, But I think, you know, people are like, how do I have a consent conversation with my kid? And we're like, ask them before you change their diaper. Mm-hmm. Ask them if you can help them with their hair care situation. Mm-hmm. Practice consent with them. Mm-hmm. You know, how can I teach them about diversity? Let them wear what they want, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Their diverse opinion. Respect their diverse opinion and their feelings. Mm-hmm. And learn from self. That is the yeah. best way to learn at yeah. the beginning. Right. Yeah. And it takes these really, like I said earlier, you know, it takes these really big, sort of overwhelming and like, like places where I feel like we, like, I sometimes get frozen in the like, oh my gosh, like we need to be talking about social justice. We need to be talking about consent. We need to be talking about these big things, but like y'all are, are breaking it down into like just daily, how we, how we are with, with the people in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a beautiful way to reframe for me as well. Not just for, I think the listeners who are, who are, who are in on this conversation. There are some great, um, I was going to say, there's some amazing books out there based on, you know, just historical things and things that are, are still going on, um, throughout the entire world. Um, we don't have that many children, uh, child books on our resource page, but Mm -hmm. we can recommend some for your show notes Mm -hmm. um, where you can find some, but I think beyond that, we have storytelling as an avenue for all of these things. So in those moments when our kids are open to connection, or for example, we're trying to walk the walk with consent. So we're, we're practicing it with our kids as often as we can. We can also be talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some kids don't grow up in a home where they can X, Y, Z, or where their parent or caregiver gives them space or ask them questions. Isn't that, wow, what would that be like? Yeah. Or some kids are judged by the way their skin looks. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that? Let's talk mm-hmm. about that and see where their questions go from there. Mm-hmm. Right? And then by the time they get to a textbook or when they get, hopefully where that's in schools at that mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't that, or, be nice? wouldn't that be nice? Or, you know, start, start going through history a hundred years ago, they're able to access that from a, a personal and foundational or place. Even just say, reading the newspaper right, at a certain age. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But if we're just focusing on the facts right now, that it's sitting it, down for official talks, because we're so terrified that they won't <laughs> understand these things. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a little cart before the horse depends depending on, you know, their, their learning language. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, like you're reminding me of the unique ways that we all process information. And so somebody may not be able to process me telling them about Juneteenth or me telling them about residential schools. Mm -hmm. Um, It may have to come through a different avenue. And and Mm -hmm. that requires us as adults to invoke our own curiosity um, Mm -hmm. about how, how the unique person standing in front of us is going to receive that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. I think a lot of folks come to us and they're like, you want me to have what conversation with my kids Legos? <laughs> or like what conversation mm-hmm. through the Marvel universe do you want yeah. me to engage? And we're like, that's your kids communication, their love yeah. language right now. Yeah. That's all like play that they need to access not the specific events of a date, but the symbolic understanding and value behind mm-hmm. a, a conversation or a movement or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something that happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely curious is, is the name of the game thinking about that. Yeah. I love absolutely. that. Oh man. So much. I, I feel overwhelmed in the most beautiful way. Um, <laughs> Cause I feel like you, y'all are connecting some dots in my head in terms of how to approach conversations, not just with 
kids in my life, but um, with the adults in my life as well, you know, this, this idea of, of in real time, in small ways that add up, we are having these bigger conversations around social justice and, and these, these big topics that are so buzzy right now. Um, we're having them in these, in these um, day-to-day life ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It just speaks to the, just the uniqueness of each person, you know, not just about the, the nervous system they were born with, not just the the trauma that they experienced, not just the cultural conditioning that they had on top of that, but just the temperament, the influences, the, the, you know, hobbies or experiences. I mean, we're all so different and so much about all of this work that you do and that we do is just looking at people as, as unique individuals, seeing mm-hmm. everyone with different eyes, separating the self from the other, you know, and saying, it's okay. We don't all have to be the same. We don't all speak the same language and feel the same things. And, and that's okay. And recognizing that can actually bring us together, not separate us in a really interesting way. Yeah. And I also love the way that y'all speak about challenges and conflicts, because something that I think is really crucial um, is I find that when I sort of sit back and, and witness and observe the parenting nowadays, there's there's almost two ends of the spectrum where there's like a, a controlling side, like we've talked a lot about that. But then there's also this, this other kind of parent that emerges from the crowd that's like very like bubble wrappy, like they don't want their child to ever experience discomfort or ever, you know, have challenges and, and um, I think the term that's used nowadays is like helicopter parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I'm like, we need those challenges. Like mm-hmm. that's what helps us build resilience. And that's what helps us, um, become resourceful. And, um, and our kids, like the example that I use is I used to, um, do quite a bit of gardening. We had a little farm a couple of years ago and, um, when our seedlings were still tiny, um, and still growing inside, we would blow on them because like when we blow on the seedlings while they're still young, they they have to brace themselves against the wind. And then we'd change the temperature up a little bit, um, not crazy, but like enough so that when they get planted outdoors, they have that muscle memory almost of knowing how to stand upright and knowing that, you know, they can resist temperature changes. Um, And I think about that when I, when I think about little kids is like, like we do need to offer challenge. We need to, to blow on them while they're still young so that when they go out into the world, they're able to, to be resilient. Mm. Um, It's that middle way that you were talking of earlier, which I think it's fascinating that you use those words because Mm. that's almost a direct translation of Tao. Um, is, is one of the ways that we explain Tao is we call it the middle way, the middle path. I think that oh, you bring up such a, a great kind of situation with feeling like the rigid parents versus the helicopter parents. And, and what Kelty and I love saying is both are actually trying to protect their child from the real world. The parents who are over-controlling and rigid and hard on their kids are wanting to give them the real world now in some ways to protect them from it later. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And the, the helicopter parents who are protecting and over-nurturing and over-stressing are also trying to protect them. And neither of those things actually build resilience in a child. And they both speak to a sense of powerlessness. Right, that the parent has yeah. in saying, oh my gosh, I'm so worried about how this child is going to function based on their nervous system or their behavior or their needs mm-hmm. or you know my lack of skills in dealing with that. And so I think that that's why we tend to overprotect or overcontrol, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have to keep remembering that we don't have to manufacture challenges for our children. (laughs) And we also don't have to protect them from all of the challenges. We can just move with them through every challenge. And just our presence is what creates the security that creates resilience. Mm. They're never going to be able to to avoid challenges and, and obstacles later in life. But we want them to have the awareness and the skills and that strong sense of self to mm-hmm. see them through whatever comes, mm-hmm. right? And we 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 rob them of that when we tell them what to do and how to do it and why they did it wrong. Mm-hmm. And we also rob them of that when we say, don't worry about it. I'll protect you from it. I'll save you from it. You did everything right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think I like the the metaphor of the, the little plant and mm-hmm. how we want to be the the, the gardener tending and supporting, and we can't protect it from all of the elements. And we also can't blame it for not growing the way that we want. Mm. Right. So mm. in, in some ways we don't have to be that wind and we don't have to be, be that, that shelter that shelter either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can just be the warm earth that's around them. Mm. I love that you just expanded that metaphor and, and made it deeper. <laughs> that's beautiful. So I am curious because what I've seen and what I've been thinking about um, is, and I think that you speak so beautifully on this in terms of the voice, is how and why we silence our children. And I know I certainly grew up with this of, of coming from you know, immigrant Korean family, there's a certain expectation of, of girls being quiet and meek um, and boys being, you know, the strong silent type. And so I'm curious about how you work with parents who have had that kind of upbringing and what a different reframe can be for them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that in some ways is sort of the, the, the m- more modern parenting in, in ways that the people have been working against. I don't know if that's coming out right. Um, I think that we, we were all raised to, to say that girls need to be meek and, you know, not show their emotions and boys will be boys. And mm-hmm. that's just how it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think too, that there's, there's a big wave now that's saying, okay, there's a backlash girls. You can, you can be strong, you can be empowered, you can have a voice, right? Mm-hmm. And boys, you can cry and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a big wave working in that direction, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think within that, there's still a lot of censorship and a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Basically, th- that, that new wave of, of looking at gender and at looking at feelings is still saying that it's not okay for any of our kids, regardless of gender, to be angry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because anger is the hardest for 
all of us to deal with. And that's what we work often with parents about Mm -hmm. their own anger, their kids' anger, whether it's a baby on the floor or a five-year-old screaming and slamming Mm -hmm. the door or an eight-year-old saying, I hate you Mm -hmm. or mean words between siblings or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. that anger is so disturbing to us and can be so triggering to us. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's easy for us to go into these kind of gender goals. Okay. We're going to be reversing this. Okay. We're going to be covering over this to work against the patriarchy. Cause I'm a strong feminist. Mm-hmm. So my daughter gets to be strong, but not if she's mad at me, mm. right? And my, my son, he can cry now. I'm going to be cool if he's a little sensitive and shows mm-hmm. vulnerability, but he cannot be angry either because that could make him a bully. That is representative of all of the men in my life that I, I am not okay with yeah. treating me this way, yeah. it could be a sign of who he's going to be. Yeah. So I think our work is is even greater than what you bring up mm-hmm. in saying, how can we look at our children, not just as, as boys or girls, but as humans who have every right to express every feeling they have, yeah. whether it's sadness, vulnerability, disappointment, um, anger, outrage Mm-hmm. at us, at a sibling, at a friend, at a piece of work they're doing, mm-hmm. at a future, at a situation, at an environment, and accept that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's really tricky. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of folks who are in our community, they struggle when when their girls are angry because it triggers the anger that was repressed for them as little girls. Mm-hmm. And so they are they are so angry inside already. So we work with a lot of moms who are yellers now because they held that anger and they they never worked through anger as a child. They don't know how to express anger adaptively. Yeah. So anytime they're faced with a feeling that they would just push down mm-hmm. as an adult, it comes out in anger at their kids, especially if their kids are angry first. It's yeah. like those mirror neurons just start firing and they just don't stop. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's really tricky with women when their sons are angry, like Kelty said, because mm-hmm. they they all of a sudden get Project. they get Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So maybe they're that kid again and they're, it's their dad that's yelling at them. Mm-hmm. Or it could also be, oh my gosh, like you are the man. Like I, I do not talk to me that way. I don't you want you to treat women. Like you this. can't treat women that way mm-hmm. because our son is treating us in a particular way. Right. And we forget that, that actually in the parent-child relationship, we are the man. <laughs> we are that authority figure, that we yeah. are that power yeah. person on top. And that anger that it does not mean the things that it means in adulthood, mm-hmm. that kids anger is so natural and so normal and so necessary because if we don't work with our kids anger, they're never going to work through it. Or they're going to have to be dealing with, with anger stuff in, in adulthood yeah. because we'll have sectioned off an entire spectrum, half spectrum or yeah. half, you know, area of the, the emotion spectrum. Mm-hmm. And we just say, sorry, I don't like the way this looks. So I don't really care about the need underneath or the yeah. impulse or yeah. the feeling. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, what this brings up is this idea of the language of attunement again, because mm-hmm. when I think about attunement and where we get stuck in attunement in, in intimate relationships, it's like, like there's, there's three aspects of it, right? So we need to be acknowledged. Like, yeah, that's a really hard feeling. We also need to be validated. Like that's a hard feeling and it's understandable. And then I think the hardest piece is we need to be met in our nervous system where we are mm-hmm. And, and so 
if I'm somebody who has not processed anger and integrated that into my life and instead I've fractured that part of myself and I've shoved it into like a deep dark hole it's really scary to meet my child in her anger because it feels like I might get sucked into that vortex mm-hmm. right and and so the work is not about you know what do I do to work with my child's anger it's actually how can i process and integrate my own struggles around anger so that i can be a safe container mm-hmm. for my child to express right i love that yeah it's trusting we have to trust our own anger to trust our child's mm-hmm. i feel like that third step is acceptance i feel like you were saying mm-hmm. acceptance and saying it's okay yeah. not only am i noticing that it's there not only am i validating why it happened or how it's happening but i'm accepting it mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. and and that's so hard to accept our kids anger but i think when we we have a lot of exercises with folks of saying, what is underneath the anger? What are all these things? Let's identify all of this where it's not, like you said, just this scary void that that's just this black hole because no one helped us identify what was at play with our anger because they just wanted it to stop, right? And filling in all of the colors and all of the kind of more visible aspects of something that we've been programmed to feel is invisible and scary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can help us work on that with our kids. But like you said, Kat, we can't do it with them if we haven't done it for ourselves first. And that's why we say we're always, we're all growing up together, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that that's where like action-based parenting might lead to misattunement because if you were to just tell people, you know, just, just acknowledge and validate the child, but the child is not getting, and it's just a, it's subtle, but it's, it's huge. And being able to be met in your nervous system, exactly where you're at, mm-hmm. like there's going to be that misattunement. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so the important piece is not just like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? How do we fix? It's about like, how can we just, and it, I mean, I feel like that's been the the theme for this entire episode is how can we just be, mm-hmm. how can we be with this feeling, you know? Yeah. And how can we attempt to connect through it in all those question marks and in that gray area, in that confusion and make that our goal, our ultimate goal isn't necessarily understanding, isn't necessarily fixing or getting to the bottom of, or making something stop, but just to connect to ourselves and be able to connect to another human being and to have a regulated nervous yeah. system as best we can mm-hmm. to help support their nervous system. And we can always process those things later. But I think a lot of folks have that conundrum. They're like, I know I don't want to just, I can't, if I just say the words, I, you know, I'm not actually believing it. So my kid can sense the inauthenticity of this approach yeah. mm-hmm. and they feel it in their body because they're, mm-hmm. they're picking up on what we're feeling in our bodies. Yeah. But something we've discovered with, with folks is that sometimes it's like, it's, it's, it can be a see see it to believe it or believe it to see it. And so I think working on those beliefs and working on the self can really influence then, okay, showing up in an authentic way in our approach with our kids in those tricky moments. Mm -hmm. But I think also that's why we focus on our words so much, because sometimes when we can work on the words and the approach a little bit, it, it, even if we're not there all the way with our beliefs, we don't trust it completely. Oftentimes it can support our child enough for them to calm down or for them to turn towards us yeah. or for them to do something that reinforces that. Oh my gosh, I saw it. And now I believe it. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. This is not working in a, in a like, 
perfect way, but yeah. working in a connected, engaged way, mm-hmm. you know, and those, those two believe it to see it, see it, to believe it kind of start reinforcing one another back and mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. no one right way to, to move through this process. Yeah, And that's the big reminder is that it's okay if it's just a big adventure and it's <laughs> a big exploration with ourselves, with the people in our lives, little people and the, the grownups, mm-hmm. it's okay to just think of it as exploring and can continue to bust that binary of right and wrong and good and bad and you know all of those things and just say I'm just exploring I'm just playing in the gray and that's okay that's what life can be yeah you know yeah and I think too like what you're speaking of is um like we we have a tendency to think like we have to be fixed before we can show up for other people and like with parenting it's almost like there are some things that you would never say to your that you would never say to your child, but you say to yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. And and there can be a rewiring of the nervous system just in how you speak to your child because um and and there, a healing, a deep healing that can happen because you're able to say out loud what you needed to hear as a kid as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the the aspects of the awakening that we can be going through as parents Mm -hmm. and that mirror that our kids hold up, you know, to, to all of the places that we haven't, haven't done the work or haven't glimpsed. And they give us that chance Mm -hmm. because as as we're leaning in there and making efforts to connect authentically and, and, and shepherd them through the world and help scaffold their learning and support their, their tools um, to be moving through the world in an adaptive way. We hear the things we say and we think, do I believe that for myself too? Mm -hmm. Or vice versa, we say something to them. And then we think, would I tell that to my partner? Would I say that to a friend? Mm-hmm. And that's part of that. Would I want that, to be spoken to right. that way. And that's yeah. part of part of the the wonderful sea of exploration or the or the the shitty soup, you know, mm-hmm. in other moments that we find ourselves in of just of of yeah, yeah of learning from that echo, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's from us to them and then them to us and back and forth and so yeah. many voices at play. Yeah. yeah. We always say it, it I think often parenting says, don't doubt yourself. Just go with your instincts. Don't mm-hmm. doubt yourself. Mm-hmm. We, we always try to encourage our coaching clients and ourselves and each other mm-hmm. to question ourselves, to ask questions, yeah. to not have to have the answer for all of them, but just to keep asking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And permission to be imperfect, you know, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even just hearing you speaking about parenting in this way, like I feel a deep sense of relief just in how much time can be saved <laughs> like because um, I look at some of the kids around me now and it's like they're being you know shipped from school to camp to you know baseball to ballet to like like there's just so like their days are so full these days and so like when I think about that kind of schedule it's like of course there's going to be fights about putting on shoes of course, there's going to be fights about not getting in the car seat, you know, and like what I'm hearing in in this style is, is a being like that seems to be a theme, but also slowing things down a bit, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe your kid doesn't need to be accomplished in all the ways that we 
think our children need to be accomplished before the age of 10. Mm-hmm. It definitely, you know, gives us a sense of security to keep them busy and to be guiding them in these ways and giving them these opportunities that maybe we weren't given mm-hmm. or maybe that we were given and we value for a particular reason. But I think we always go back, you know, I think that's based in that lack mindset of mm-hmm. saying, what they're interested in right now isn't enough. What they do or how they spend their time at home isn't enough. They're resting or lazing about isn't enough. They are not enough. They need to be supplemented. And I think so much about that, that giving ourselves permission to let go and that, that gaining of so much perspective and time, um, which is so magical and we don't have enough of, and it is the most precious resource, right? Mm -hmm. Is saying, can we trust instead that what they're interested in or how they go about something or, you know, who they are essentially is enough. Yeah. You know, get them childcare if we need to be working or have something we want to do, but let's bring them into their lives. Yeah. Because if we keep controlling all of these things, even in the most loving ways, it's not coming from them. So it's not going to be foundational. Mm-hmm. It has to be collaborative for it to quote unquote stick. Or what, what can end up being foundational yeah. are things that maybe we don't want for them. Like, like um, values of grind culture, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like that, yeah. that a lot of us are working back from or saying, lack of mindfulness yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. not really, or a feeling of that they have to be competing constantly to have mm-hmm. a sense of value, or they have to be productive constantly yeah. to have a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. So thinking Worthiness. about, wait a second, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's where that misalignment comes in where a lot of, a lot of folks are like, Oh gosh, wait, this is not aligning with my own personal values. The work I'm doing as a woman in my Mm thirties. Okay. I should probably take a step back and think about this from my child's point of view. For sure. For sure. Continue asking those questions like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, like what I'm hearing is like, you're in a constant state of sympathetic when you're like that. You know, Mm -hmm. when you have your child's schedule just completely packed to the brim and we and sympathetic does not have to just be about like I'm running away from a bear. Sympathetic part of your nervous system can just be about like I have to be turned on at all times. Like I have to have my foot on the gas pedal. And that's what you're speaking to in terms of the grind culture. And our nervous systems are not attuned to connection when we're in sympathetic, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that connection only happens when you're in that parasympathetic and we don't value that side of our nervous system as much, um, but we still want to be connected to our kids. And then we mm-hmm. wonder why we aren't, why we aren't reading each other um, correctly is it's because we aren't giving ourselves enough time um, being in parasympathetic together to actually mm-hmm. connect. I love that. Mm. I was uh, lying in bed with my daughter this morning. She comes in and gives me cuddles when I wake up. She's six. And one point we were just kind of lying there and just weren't saying anything. And she goes, I'm bored. And I said, really? What what do you mean? And she's like, I don't know. What should I do? And I think she uses the word bored sometimes to I'm ready to move on to something, but I don't know what, or Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, bored in the way that we might say bored. But I said, you know, what's so interesting about the word bored. And I said, it's, it's really just a moment where you have space and you have time. And how cool is that when our brains and our bodies are go, go, go all the time, a moment of boredom. And she was like, boredom. And I was like, yeah, when you're feeling bored is actually this incredible gift. And a lot of people say that it's those moments that give us the opportunities to have a really cool idea about something Mm -hmm. or to work through something Mm -hmm. in our brains. And then aside from that, it's a chance to connect to our bodies and to be thinking, what does my body need right now? Is it needing to stretch out? And she kind of stretched out her toes and leaned side to side. And I said, 
Is it a moment that you realize I actually need to be hanging upside down a little bit, Mm -hmm. or I actually want to be jumping, or I'm going to take a few deep breaths to just center myself. Those moments of boredom are pretty cool, Mm -hmm. a pretty cool gift, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed to thinking, what do I do next? I want to do something next. I want to be somewhere else. I want to be someone else. Yeah. It's a moment that we can just sit and be present with ourselves. And you and I can do that together. And she was like, yeah. I think a lot of folks we work with too come into conflict with, with this because they have such different nervous systems from their kids. So they might be kind of a go, go, go just based on their nervous system or their cultural conditioning or a combination. Yeah. But their child, for example, my daughter who's seven is, is very introverted. She's very slower paced, slower moving, less energetic. Kelty's daughter is like, go, go, go. If that's just her resting state is a little yeah. bit more go, go, go. Mm-hmm. So she wants to do more activities. She wants to do those types of things. She's constantly but, talking, thinking, yeah. connecting. Right. But my daughter really just likes to, to float. She's a floater. Mm-hmm. She likes to float and then she dives in. She figures out her own projects. They could not be more different from one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that this happens very often with us parents because we're like, I think I know what's best for my child. And, and we don't take into account that nervous system, that that pacing, mm-hmm. that, that rhythm that they need for their body to to yeah. feel that sense of security and have reminder, that like my daughter could integration to back appointments and lessons and yeah. things all day. If we chose to, to right. give her that opportunity and your daughter would struggle so she much would, through that. Yeah. Hannah. Really yeah. dislike that. And I think a lot of folks in the pandemic realize this about their kids. Ooh. Wow. My child is showing me because we're out of the daily routine that we've all been programmed to be. Now they're kind of showing me who they are and what they're into a little bit more. And that could be terrifying or that could be gratifying or just kind of interesting. Yeah, that that resting state, that boredom yeah. state. What is that? How does that yeah. show up for each of us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think about like all the fun games that my brother and I came up with to play while we were quote unquote bored. Uh-huh. You know? mm-hmm. And like we didn't grow up with like iPads and, and TVs in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'd come up with fun games on long car on car trips you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think that we need more moments for our children to just be bored because that is, you're totally right. That is where creativity comes from. Yeah. And that back to the attunement, that's where our bodies tell us what they need. Mm-hmm. And so it could be what the nervous system needs. It could be what cognitively, intellectually we need. Mm-hmm. So play and what people choose to engage in, it's serving an emotional need, a cognitive need, a developmental need, a nervous system need, mm-hmm. right? And and having that space allows them to, to tune in and then move forward mm-hmm. and play and rest. And all of those things are inherently nourishing. They're inherently self-directed. We do not need to tell our kids how to play, how to rest, how to move, how to do any of those things, you know, Mm -hmm. we we were told that quite a bit sometimes, you know, absolutely. Yeah. One more thing to take off our job description, (laughs) some pressure off. Yeah. Yeah. Being like the, the curator of all of life, life experiences. (laughs) Yeah. Let us be bored from not having to micromanage our kids as much. That'd be mm-hmm. nice. Reclaim our own rest and boredom a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much in terms of um, reclamation in terms of the work that y'all do. Uh, there's that reclamation of the the spirit, the sensitivity, the rest, the boredom, the abundance mindset versus being run by the scarcity mindset. Like there's, there's a lot that we can learn through these relationships with these small humans when we can admit that like we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's scary and hard at first and it gets easier the more, the more we do it. Right. Yeah. It feels yeah. good. Uh-huh. Just saying, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know everything. I don't have a master plan. I don't have all the answers. Whew. Let's co-create this good. together. Yeah. 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 This is such a great conversation. And like I said earlier, like it's not, it's not a, a usual conversation that I have. Um, so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to drop in some different information. And there's a lot of parents out there and, and now I know where to send them. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, I know that you've got some beautiful offerings um, in terms of how to support parents who are wanting to uh, support their spirited and sensitive children. So can you share a little bit about um, your work? Yeah. So our, our website is at upbringing.co and that is our Instagram handle as well, where we have a, a big community. We do live Q and A's, a lot of side-by-sides with that helpful language. Um, and, and then our website, we have a free download on either one for spirited kids. So that kind of gets the conversation started with reframing those beliefs and thinking of replacing new sentences to kind of do that, believe it, to see it, see it, to believe it flip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we, also, we'll have a spirited kids guide. So like a 30 page guide that just helps in all of the arenas where we struggle with our spirited and sensitive kids and flip some beliefs as well. We're really excited about that. And then we also just recently opened, we call it the spirited kids club because we feel like a lot of parents of spirited and sensitive kids feel really alone. Mm. And there's a little bit of a stigma associated with that. You know, if our kids are really easy to boss around, Um, but we think it's pretty awesome that we're raising sensitive and spirited kids. And so the club is small group coaching where we and eight other people connect uh, about our kids, about the challenges, learn from one another and um, do that for four, four um, sessions every month. So oh, wow. that's what we've got going. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. I, I love the idea of doing group coaching around this because, you know, I hear from so many parents, they feel so alone in, in this and there's something really beautiful about, and I've seen it in my clients as well. Like, I can't recreate what happens in a group call um, on a one-on-one call, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being in community, having your experience validated, having, you know, like your stuff be normalized um, with other people who are going through similar experiences is so profoundly healing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I, I mean, as women, we used to do it for generations and generations and we've lost touch with that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I love that, that you all are, are putting that back out into the collective as a form of medicine. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a, it's been an amazing uh, realization of that exact thing of saying with each group, we don't even realize what this beautiful chemical interaction can be and the ways that just hearing another person's story and experience, um, whether it's similar to our own or not can be so nourishing and connective and wonderful. Um, so we've got those small groups and then, um, we've also got the live Q and A's on Instagram, which we put on our podcast weekly for just those smaller moments. So they're a little bit less connective, but we run through maybe like 10 to 20 challenges and try to kind of tie those up into the bigger themes at play and, and um, grow up Mm. alongside everyone. Mm. That's lovely. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It is so deeply nourishing and 
profoundly like just if if nobody if if anybody's listening to this and you and you take nothing away from it other than go to their Instagram page um the scripts have been so helpful for me personally um and it it you don't have to have a kid to get some value out of these scripts because it really shows you know this is the language that I grew up in and this is what I'm familiar with and how can I reframe that and how can I say that differently in a way that feels accepting and feels like I can attune a little bit better with my emotions so um, inner voice work <laughs> mm-hmm, totally inner voice work so go check out their Instagram go check out their website if you have kids um, just take advantage of their offerings because it's it's so beautiful thank you thank you thank you thank you